You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock, and we're joined by Ivy Winfrey, and you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon is explaining how CSU reflected on a year with COVID and handled this week's snowstorm on campus. After that, Ivy explains how 43,000 people remain without power from this weekend's blizzard. Jonathan Gillum updates us on CSU Athletics, and then you'll be hearing an episode from Takes from the Anthropocene discussing healthcare improvement and the importance of diverse voices. Then Jacob Selby will be telling us about how the U.S. government is supporting Myanmar nationals while their nation experiences a military coup. And then you'll hear myself and Full Stack Academy President Mogan Sebramaniam talk technology boot camps at CSU. After that, I'll be updating you on changes in COVID-19 statistics. And to conclude the show, I'll also be giving some new updates on lawsuits facing major tech companies. Then, Ivy Winfrey will be explaining how Nebraska's governor is firing back at Colorado for observing a meatless holiday. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello everyone, this is Ellie Shannon, and we are in our ninth week of classes here at Colorado State University. CSU was closed on Monday, March 15th due to the great amount of snow that Fort Collins received Saturday and Sunday, but classes will resume to a normal schedule on Tuesday, March 16th. Fort Collins received an impressive 19 inches of snow, according to the Coloradoan, even canceling city operations on Monday. COVID saliva testing is still being offered for all students, staff, and faculty. Students can access testing at the Moby Arena parking lot, the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus, and Mac Gym in the Recreation Building. In addition, CSU's first shipment of the Moderna vaccine came to CSU with 200 doses for those that are eligible, such as student-facing faculty. More updates are to come on this. CSU passed the one-year anniversary of COVID-19's campus shutdown last week, and CSU has been monitoring the mental health crisis that followed with isolation. According to Sam Mochia of the Collegian, Shu Lee, a 2020 University of Colorado psychology graduate, stated, quote, students are getting the back end of everything right now. You don't have ways of learning how to cope and motivate yourself. It's so hard, end quote. If you want to learn more about this or feel you may need help with mental health, counseling is available at CSU. Go to health.colostate.edu and click on counseling services. Other student resources for mental health can be accessed at you at CSU, available on RamWeb. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. And always make sure to tune in to KCSU. Thanks for listening. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to 90.5 FM. Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. This weekend's blizzard resulted in around 17 inches of snow in Fort Collins, causing many people to have to dig themselves out of their homes. According to Miles Bloomhart at the Coloradoan, the latest National Weather Service snow totals from the weekend storm show 17 inches of snow in Fort Collins, 18 in Loveland, 17.4 in Timnath, 22 in Estes Park, and 27 on Horsetooth Mountain. Those totals are from Sunday morning, so the totals may be slightly higher due to snowfall Monday. Snowfall caused small avalanches on Poudre Canyon Highway west of Rustic, according to a Twitter post by the Larimer Emergency Telephone Authority. The road is closed from Ted's Place to the county border on west. Residents in the area are urged to use extreme caution. 
Power lines downed by snow-snapped trees caused outages in Fort Collins and Wellington. Fort Collins Utilities, XL Energy, and Poudre Valley REA all reported sporadic outages across their service areas Sunday morning. Across Poudre Valley's REA's service area, roughly 7,200 customers were without power for portions of Sunday. PVREA posted on Twitter, quote, Poles are down, cross arms broken, and substantial tree damage. Accessibility is limited in adverse conditions. Crews are restoring power as safely and as quickly as possible. Poudre Valley REA restored electricity to more than 3,000 customers Sunday, but 4,300 remain without power as nightfall nears its service area. The rural electricity provider said via Twitter that near whiteout conditions and treacherous roads made the work of restoring power arduous Sunday. Fort Collins Utilities showed only a handful of outages at 5.45 p.m. Sunday, while Excel Energy showed about 60 outages in the Fort Collins and Wellington areas. The blizzard caused most city facilities, as well as Colorado State University, to shut down Monday, but snow removal crews have been hard at work since Saturday. A city press release noted that the city will be plowing residential streets. However, due to the volume and weight of this heavy spring snow, city streets crews have to bring in specialized equipment to remove the snow from neighborhoods so that it doesn't block driveways. Due to these factors, specific timing for residential snow removal remains uncertain. You can track the location of snow plows online at fcgov.com snowplows. Larimer County reported 12 new COVID-19 outbreaks last week at locations including the Loveland Police Department, Whole Foods, and Sunshine House Child Center. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, despite the new outbreaks, the overall number of cases associated with active outbreaks are continuing to decline as outbreaks trend away from healthcare settings towards other locations. There are over 1,000 cases of COVID-19 associated with active outbreaks in Larimer County as of Friday down more than 30% from this time in January. The number of active outbreaks during the same period decreased by as much small by a much smaller margin from 78 to 72, reflecting a shift towards smaller outbreaks. That doesn't include over 2,000 cases reported by Colorado State University campus. County data can lag behind a few days or weeks from CSU's data, which showed more than 2,500 cases as of Friday. CSU's numbers have reflected all cases since May 2020. The largest new outbreak this week was reported at Loveland Police Department, with seven cases among staff. The other new outbreaks with five or more cases were at Sunshine House Early Learning Center at 2060 Perennial Lane in Fort Collins and Whole Foods Market at 2201 South College Avenue in Fort Collins. The other newly reported outbreaks this week consist of two to four cases per location. Those locations include BJ's Restaurant, Kava Restaurant, Home Two Suites by Hilton, Johnson Elementary School, Mackenzie Place Assistant Living, Odell and Co. CPA Office, United Way of Larimer County in Fort Collins, and Loveland Classical School Lysom Campus at Ziggy's Coffee in Loveland. That's the local news for today. My name is Abby Winfrey. After the break, you'll be hearing from the RMR Sports Report with Jonathan Gillum. Stay tuned. Local music is a sample element of every city around the world. 
but unique to every community. KCSU will showcase a part of our international local music exchange, a radio show and podcast collaboration with college radio stations around the world. All participating stations are sharing their local music community with the world. Listen to the podcast at kcsufm.com. Hi listeners, it's Jonathan Gillen for KCSU Sports, and we're coming off a very snowy but eventful weekend. Uh, Just to recap what happened on uh, Friday is men's basketball loss versus Utah State, 50-62. The track and field NCAA championships are happening in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Volleyball traveled to San Jose State and won their first matchup 3-0. Moving on to the next day, uh, softball for the weekend got postponed. And Game 2 of Volleyball's series with San Jose State happened where the Rams lost to 2-3. And that moves the CSU Volleyball Rams to 5-5 on the season, sitting at right at 500%. Moving next on to Sunday, women's golf had their Clover Day Glover Cup tournament and they finished eighth. Uh, women's soccer was canceled over the weekend because of the storm. And that also happened with tennis. And But women's cross can- country championship happened at the NCAA championships in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And the women placed 23rd. And this, today, Tuesday, women's tennis should be playing at Phoenix, Arizona. And all of that is your wrap-up of the weekend with events that we'll cover later this week on Thursday. Also, in big news, men's basketball had a controversial ruling where they were uh, denied March Madness but went to NIT. And they're on the awaiting list, the COVID list. So if a team would drop out, they would be the second team to get called up. Uh, head coach Medved really doubted that they would get called up, but they did win some several all-district honors. Head coach Nico Medved was honored with USBWA Coach District Coach of the Year. David Roddy was honored with USBWA All-District and NABC All-District First Team. And sophomore guard Isaiah Stevens earned USBWA All-District and All-District Second Team. All right, we'll have more updates for you on Thursday. Thank you for listening. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. 
This episode of Takes from the Anthropocene is going to focus on Roxanne Stacy and a book called Mountains Beyond Mountains by Paul Farmer. This discusses diversity related and relates to healthcare access. Now for that. I just wanted to start off talking about a really well-known medical anthropologist. His name is Dr. Paul Farmer and some of the experiences of his patients or a patient in particular. One story in his work in rural Haiti is of a pregnant woman who came into the clinic needing blood transfusion, a simple blood transfusion, couldn't afford it, and both her and her baby ended up losing their life. Many of the stories of the people of Conj and other rural areas of Haiti and of Dr. Farmer working to broaden the scope of their access to public health can be found in Kidder's 2009 book, Mountains Beyond Mountains. So why bring this up? What do we need to know from Dr. Farmer and the stories of his patients? Well, one thing that is really important to take away from Dr. Farmer and his nature to treat every patient as an individual with a life of value. And while all lives are the same in that they might be battling the same disease in a tuberculosis-stricken area, for example, and that he, as a public health provider, feels he has a duty to fight for each separate case, he also recognizes each person's separate and independent health backgrounds, personal backgrounds, needs, all these separate battles. He recognizes where there are gaps in access and care and does what he can to fill those voids. This value is appreciated in combating disease outbreak, certainly, but ideally in health overall, because when people have access to regular health care, there exists less opportunity for more expensive disease outbreak and other health complications to run rampant or, or even to happen at all and really limit the extent to which that people live their lives in a way that is good for them and that really limit their extent of well-being, their livelihoods, and membership of families and communities. We see the problem of healthcare access being tied to nations in poverty. Do you see these ideas being applied to the U.S. as well? Yes. Yeah, so, so often these experiences are associated with nations or communities facing poverty or in civil unrest. And while, yes, this is true when we are discussing Dr. Farmer's work in Haiti, I don't want to spend too much time on that concept. While it is important to understand because, one, we don't have time to get into the reasons for poverty and all of those reasons are really kind of beyond the scope of this podcast, while they are so important to understand. And two, we know there is so much to learn from the people of Haiti in life in Haiti beyond the experience of poverty. I don't want that to be the takeaway, the only takeaway, and to reinforce the idea that places like the United States, when they take up space in places like Haiti, I don't want this idea to be reinforced that those places have so much to learn from us. This reinforces the idea that it isn't or shouldn't be a two-way or even a multi-way flow of communication and knowledge. Because what we are dealing with, many of the same problems that we're talking about, we do see here in the United States. The reality that basic or regular health care or chronic health management is not affordable or is out of reach for, is, that reality is so true for so many Americans. Uh, we see this now today being augmented by a virus that's left virtually no country around the world untouched. Everyone's so sick of it, but the current virus is so relevant to all of this. <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's get into it because it really does highlight this need 
and the need of supported public health in our country. Everyone is so ready to move past this virus and its horrible effects in terms of cases and death rates, but also on mental health, our relational ties, families and individuals alike, on businesses. You know, I mean, we see that our impact is so far reaching, but cases have only risen since March. We're only seeing more repercussions of this every single day, and the burden is disproportionately heavy. In April, in the beginning of all this, in April and May, cases in tribal lands were more than four times the rate in, in the United States. And also in May, the Navajo Nation had the highest rates of COVID-19, rates surpassing those of New York that we knew was kind of a hub for all of this at the beginning of the COVID story. <laughs> so why do we not feel a large-scale collaborative effort from all angles to get us through this? There do exist economic difficulties and inequalities in America. There do exist gaps in healthcare access and affordability like we see from Dr. Farmer and his, and his patients' experiences. So why don't the communities that are so hard hit by this, by the COVID experience and by so many other gaps in healthcare um, have so little say in their own recovery processes. This coronavirus is just the current foremost example of these problems. Can you talk about this outside of COVID? I'm sure. And doing that, we could go so many different places. Kate Brown, our very own professor here at CSU, has taken us to post-Katrina in the United States to explore recovery processes in her work Standing in the Need. Kate has done so much work surrounding recovery after disaster. She highlights the gap between those recovering after disaster and those stepping in, often bureaucratic agencies that are trying to step in and aid in this course of action. But when the recovering culture is not fully understood and appreciated by the other, the entire process is only elongated and ultimately misled as the true needs of a recovering community are never really represented and therefore met. When there is a disconnect between survivors of Katrina and federal agencies like FEMA, for example, even down to disconnects in simple communication, needs won't be effectively understood and accommodated. And people who are already displaced by unforeseen disastrous physical events are further separated from a process that is supposed to be based on those very needs. FEMA costs these survivors a lot of damage mentally and physically by not recognizing this. Communities that are already facing the impacts of inequalities don't need to deal with elongated and convoluted recovery processes in the face of disaster. You're absolutely right. So with the time left, can you talk about some of your ideas moving forward? Absolutely, yeah. So. What, what needs to happen is to really recognize the importance of representation and diversity in decision-making groups and a two-way flow of communication between these groups and communities that are needing the support. So we can see this happening in academic circles. We can see this happening you know, in media circles. We can see this everywhere. We can see in all sectors of society, people need to be represented just first and foremost. And then moving into decision-making bodies, I mean, places like FEMA and representatives in our Congress, there needs to be a representation of these communities. I mean, even when we see, when we're talking about 
um, census reporting. I mean, all communities need to be represented. There needs to be a box that every person can accurately check that so that their communities are represented, so that there are right allocations of money and federal support. And then moving into disaster recovery processes, instead of having a one-size-fits-all approach, we need to be really hearing the voices of those who are most impacted. We really need to put those voices forefront and, and listen to what needs to be done. And also, when we include representation and diversity from the get-go, <laughs> before disaster occurs, ideas and new perspectives and backgrounds are brought in to solve problems in, in creative ways, in innovative ways, um, so that problems can really be thought about and addressed before they are exacerbated by unforeseen disaster. I think we can see time and time again, there's so much research that points to the fact that when we make up groups with differing perspectives, differing backgrounds, stuff gets done. <laughs> there is more chance for a creative course of action. So once again, I am Roxanne. Thank you for listening. Roxanne, thank you for joining us in the studio today. Yeah, once again, absolutely. you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. I'm <laughs> Olivia signing off. Again, that was Takes from the Anthropocene's recent episode that regards promoting healthcare access and what diverse voices do for that. You can find that on Spotify or online at kcsufm.com. And again, that was Olivia and Roxanne discussing that. Now we'll be right back. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Support for KCSU comes from the Lisa Rinkjob Agency Incorporated with American Family Insurance. With offices located in Fort Collins and Greeley, protection, peace of mind, and trust has been their priority since 1992. Learn more about Lisa Rinkjob Agency Incorporated and American Family Insurance at lisarinkjob at amfam.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Selby, and these are the national news highlights for Tuesday, March 16th, Governor Polis announced that all Coloradoans will be eligible for the coronavirus vaccine by mid-April on Friday. According to Andrea Dukakis of CPR News, 
Polis says that the vaccine rollout is going so well in the state of Colorado that he expects all people over the age of 16 will be able to begin getting vaccines as soon as next month. Polis also expects that anyone over the age of 16 who wants a vaccine in the state will be able to be fully protected by June. This timetable puts Colorado several weeks ahead of President Biden's national plan, which expects a full national rollout for all adult age groups to begin in May. Currently, healthy adults who do not meet specific age or occupational criteria for vaccination priority cannot receive the vaccine. A vaccine for children under the age of 16 is currently not available, but is being investigated in many labs across the world. Polis regularly remarks that he wants Colorado to have the best testing, highest vaccine distribution rate, and lowest case numbers in the nation. The state has been doing so well, vaccination availability for Group 1B has been moved up to March 19th. This group includes restaurant workers, higher education faculty, such as those at Colorado State University, people over the age of 50, and people with pre-existing health conditions. However, there is still some discrepancy in who has been able to get a vaccine in the state. Vaccination rates for people of color and those in impoverished or marginalized communities in Colorado are significantly lower compared to their white or more privileged counterparts. The state has started holding vaccination clinics in areas with higher black or Latino populations. However, this has not had a significant effect on the discrepancy. Polis hopes that bringing in vaccines as soon as possible will help to reduce deaths as much as possible in the coming months and to bring the pandemic to an end. More than 6,000 Coloradoans have died from the pandemic, with the national death toll now surpassing 534,000. The United States government has begun to offer protected status for people from the country of Myanmar after a military coup overthrew their civilian elected government earlier this year. According to Michelle Kellerman of NPR News, the Biden administration is offering protection of Burmese citizens who are currently living in the U.S. who fear returning home due to the current political situation. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas said after reviewing the current situation in the country, he has decided to designate Burma for temporary protected status. This means that Burmese nationals may continue to temporarily reside in the U.S. while the coup is underway. The decision will affect approximately 1,600 Burmese nationals living in the U.S., and will allow them to continue to reside and work in the country for at least the next 18 months. A United Nations human rights investigator says Burmese security forces who orchestrated the coup have killed at least 70 civilians and have brutally suppressed protesters who have attempted to rise up against the faction. Burmese diplomats living abroad in the U.S. and the rest of the world have broken ranks with the government and have given almost universal support for deposed civilian leader Aung San Suu Kyi. Military leaders in the country say that an election held in 2020 for president in the country was stolen and that there was mass voter fraud, which led to the pro-military party losing. Despite no evidence of voter fraud, the military coup has continued to push the narrative that Aung San Suu Kyi lost the election and that she is not the legitimate leader of the nation. The striking parallels between the rhetoric of the military coup and some political factions in the U.S. after the results of the American 2020 election has been noticed, and some have claimed that the military coup in Burma took inspiration from the situation in the United States. China, the U.S., and the United Nations have all been in talks to restore the power of the legitimate leaders of Burma and have placed economic sanctions on the country and leaders of the coup while the illegitimate government continues to be in power. Butterflies in the American West have seemingly been vanishing amidst rising global temperatures. 
According to Jeffrey Glassberg of Wyoming Public Media, a new study has shown that butterfly populations in western states have been declining in recent years. The study suggests that warmth in the fall months has been driving a consistent die-off of butterfly species, reducing their overall numbers on the continent. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the 10 hottest years in human history all occurred since 2005, with 2020 being the hottest year on record in human history. The declining insect population impact our understanding of how man-made climate change has directly impacted nature. According to Matthew Forrester of the University of Nevada, poor land management and human activity beyond carbon emissions also has a significant negative impact on insect populations. This includes toxic pollution, destroying natural habitats, and the use of chemical pesticides. However, the impact has not been limited to butterflies. Other pollinating insects, such as bees, have also been in decline because of destructive human activity. The decline in pollinating insects frightens researchers because they are the glue of the ecosystem. A lack of pollinating insects could have disastrous global consequences on the ecosystem and crop yields if climate change and environmental destruction is not brought under control. That's all for the National News Highlights. I'm Jacob Selby, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins 90.5 FM. Full Stack Academy is partnering with Colorado State University to offer tech boot camps to support those looking to enter the tech field. These courses start in July and end in January 2022. I'm joined today by Full Stack Academy President Mogan Subramanian to discuss this new program and its importance. Thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. All right. Just to start off, why did CSU and Full Stack partner to make sure that this was possible? Um, sure. Now, we have been observing tech talent gaps across the country for a while. And it was very clear that there is tremendous movement in the IT industry in, in Colorado. And, uh, and you know, with you see a lot of Fortune 100 companies have been moving over to Denver and Colorado in general, expanding their presence. Um, companies like Apple, Facebook, Amazon. And I think, a, I think just recently, Amazon just created another 400 open positions in cloud computing and, um, and engineering. In the, through its presence in uh, the Denver Tech Hub. And, and not just that, there are currently more than 30,000 unfilled jobs, unfilled tech jobs in Colorado. And just cybersecurity alone, it's something like 19,000. Uh, and then in coding, there's another 12 to 13,000 unfilled positions. So tremendous opportunity, but there is this missing link between these jobs and the people who are trying to pursue these opportunities. And that's the reason why we felt we could do something to, to connect the dots over here. Uh, and so we knew we wanted to be in uh, Colorado and in Denver and, and try and do something and, and transform lives. The question next was like, how do we do this? Who is the right partner? And I'm talking from uh, the perspective of Full Stack Academy over here. So we wanted to work with, um, an institution that had a strong reputation uh, across the state and was progressive and committed to transforming lives through education. And that's how we landed uh, working with, landed on CSU. Uh, they were at the same time quite interested in the work that we had been, we had been doing in other parts of the country. So it was, it was really good timing. Uh, and together we think we can make a difference, offer something new and, and help to close the tech talent gap the state. 
All right, thank you. And then what are some of the courses being offered? And can you tell us a little bit about what those entail? Sure. Uh, so there are two uh, main courses being offered right now. What is a, a coding web development uh, bootcamp? And then the other one is a cybersecurity bootcamp. They are both 26 weeks long part-time programs. Uh, they run on Monday and Wednesday evenings and then Saturday mornings, so three times a week. Uh, so they're, they're designed in a way uh, that you can take them even if you're full-time a job. You should be able to work around that. And, um, and they're designed for beginners. So it is, you do not need any prior technical knowledge. Um, you just need a lot of you know, enthusiasm. You really want to make the switch. Here's a program for you to try. Um, the, the admissions process itself, once you submit a pretty simple uh, application, you'll be invited to take a 45-minute assessment, which is non-technical. The goal of that assessment is to see how you uh, reason and how you think logically, basically how do you solve problems and how do you observe patterns and things like that. The goal is for us to ensure that this program is a good fit for you. But again, I want to stress there's no technical experience, prior experience required uh, to get into this program. Now, once you get, uh, once you get past that point, you'll be given a decision. Uh, and through that entire process, you, you will have someone on our side, a student advisor who will be able to um, advise you and, and guide you on whether this program is the right fit for you. All right, and then shifting gears just a little bit, can you explain Fullstack's mission since most of us are familiar with Colorado State University here in town, but might not be completely familiar with you guys? Sure, sure. So our purpose is to transform lives by teaching technologies that power the future. Uh, we were founded about eight, nine years ago uh, because there was there was this serious lack uh, serious gap in uh, tech talent but at the same time there were all of these people who were so keen to get into tech they just didn't know how to get in there and also we saw this rapid um, transition into tech, right? So what we could see was a lot of people were going to be left behind if things did not change. And so our goal is to really provide an opportunity for people who are willing to put in the effort, who want to break into tech, but they just don't know how. And so that's what we do. Uh, and, and interestingly, uh, you know, our students are all adult learners, right? You, you realize when you're in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, we have had students in our 50s, uh, that I really want to get into tech. And there's going back to, to do a computer science degree for four years. Sometimes it's not an option for, for these people. So that's what we do. All right. And then how can those who are interested in these programs starting this summer apply? Uh, well, go to bootcamp.colostate, which is C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Uh, and you'll be able to get all the information from, from the application uh, from, from the application form as well as details on the dates. And uh, we have scholarships ranging from five hundred to two thousand dollars if you are a military personnel. And we know we know there are a lot of military personnel in Colorado, uh, or if you are uh, a veteran. Also, scholarships for for employees and alumni and current students of Colorado State University as well. 
So you get all of the information on the website. All right. And then if someone might be a little bit hesitant about enrolling for any reason, what would you personally say to encourage them to give it a shot? You aren't the first person. Uh, we have had so many uh, people who, who were not sure if this is something that they do. And we have now graduated more than 3,000 people and they work at so many incredible companies across the country. So I would say don't, don't hesitate. And all you have to do is just reach out, uh, go to the website, bootcamp.colostate.edu and drop in your details, even if you're just curious. We have a very experienced team that will tell you more about the program, what it takes. You can hear stories about people who've gone through the programs. Um, our graduates work all across the country. Um, you know, some of, some of our biggest hiring partners are companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google. So, you know, and, and a lot of our students were beginners just like you as well. So don't, we understand the hesitation, but don't let it stop you. You can always, you know, you can always learn more. If you feel it's not for you, you don't have to commit. Definitely. And then just speaking of more alumni, what are some other companies that full stack program alumni um, have been hired at? Sure. So in addition to the, the, the companies that I mentioned, I think Amazon is another one. Um, in, in, in New York, we have a lot of uh, uh, grads who work at companies like JP Morgan, American Express, Bloomberg. We've got students in Etsy. We've got graduates in Pinterest. Uh, just, you know, countless. I think we've got graduates in more than 800 companies across, across the country. Can you tell me a bit about the increase in demand for tech workers? Yeah. Well, software has just, there's this, there's this uh, saying, software is eating the world. Uh, I believe it was Mark Andreessen who said that um, this has been going on for a long time. And so now there's software in everything, like in everything, in our cars, um, in in every device that we use, it's everywhere. And so the need for tech workers has just increased tremendously. Even small businesses these days are using software, uh, tools like Shopify, um, so that they can, they can have an online uh, store, right? And, and so every company needs to, to have a, an engineering team or at least someone who is IT savvy. So that's just happened nationwide. The other thing is that in the last in the last year, the pandemic has accelerated that. Businesses businesses have had to just go online immediately, and had to uh, because of having to adapt in such a manner. You've seen a big growth in um, tech roles. Um, it's been a tough year, right? The last twelve months, and there's been a big recession. But if you notice, the industries that have weathered the storm a little better are those that have a, a technology component to them. So that this growth in demand for tech workers is not going to go away. It's only gonna get more pronounced uh, as, we, as we go forward. All right, and then do you have anything else that you'd like to add about Full Stack Academy, their partnership with CSU or these courses? There is an early application discount uh, if you are interested in the cohorts that are starting in July. Um, for the cybersecurity program, you have to enroll before June 7th. And for the web development, the coding bootcamp, you have to enroll before June 1st and you'll be eligible for a discount on tuition. That's one thing. Uh, in, in general, we are incredibly excited about coming to Colorado 
And we're incredibly excited about this partnership with Colorado State University. Uh, our, our, our partners there are so excited and uh, it's taken us a while to get this going, but we think we can make a big difference and we're looking forward to all of the incredible transformational stories that we'll see a year from now when our graduates get jobs across the region. All right, thank you so much, Mogan. Again, that was Mogan Subramaniam uh, from Full Stack Academy, and he talked a little bit about what it meant for CSU to start offering bootcamp programs in partnership with Full Stack Academy. So we're gonna be right back, but once again, thank you, Mogan. You're welcome, thank you for having me. Did you know that the National Audubon Society has a regional office in Fort Collins? Audubon Rockies protects birds and the places they need in Colorado and Wyoming through science, outreach, and policy. Find out how you can help Audubon Rockies empower people through community science, volunteerism, and grassroots advocacy at rockies.audubon.org. That's rockies.audubon.org. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University has a total of over 2,600 cumulative cases of COVID-19 since May 2020. There is a current upward trend in cases, so students, staff, and faculty should be additionally cautious as a result. Larimer County meets criteria for a medium risk score with over 21,000 cases, 230 deaths, and 377 outbreaks. On the state's most recent edition of the DIAL framework, the county is at level yellow concern with over 127,000 people vaccinated countywide. Only seven new cases were reported in the past 24 hours, and 12 days in the past two weeks saw more than 15 new daily cases. In the past two weeks, no day has seen more than 10% of all tests administered come back positive, and 22 COVID patients are currently being treated in area hospitals. Hospital utilization is at a low 65%, while ICU utilization is at 72%. The county is on an overall downward trend, which will support the community in recovery as more vaccines are distributed. The state of Colorado has around 445,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 6,000 deaths related to the virus. Over 4,000 outbreaks across the state have been reported, and over 2.6 million Colorado residents have received COVID-19 testing. According to a press release, at-home COVID-19 testing is expanding to restaurant workers. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment announced Tuesday morning that this expands on a similar program made for educators in February and allows eligible workers to test themselves with the help of a telehealth proctor. This program aims to keep food workers and customers alike safe as vaccines are rolled out to the public. 
The United States reports over 29.5 million COVID-19 cases, with an increase of 57,000 Monday. Deaths nationwide have reached over 535,000, with a 750-person increase Monday. Cases are down by 18% in the past two weeks, while deaths declined by 32% in the same period. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from virus transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, using hand sanitizer, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, and staying at home when possible. Information from this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. For information on vaccine eligibility, go to covid19.colorado.gov. I'm Cota Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any of our show so far, check us out on Spotify or online at kcsufm.com news. We'll be right back with tech and weird news. Would you like to be a part of a rising industry on your college campus? Well, you should check out KCSU and their podcast department. 90.5 KCSU is Colorado State University's student-run radio station where you can be involved with music, news, sports, and even production and podcasting. Come on down into the basement of the Lori Student Center and talk to a staff member today. Just remember to follow the music. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Kuda Babcock, and you're listening to Tech News for Tuesday on KCSU Fort Collins. Ford Motor Company announced a partnership with the University of Michigan on robotics research and funded a new building for the research to take place. According to Corey Williams of the Associated Press, the Ford Motor Company robotics building held its grand opening Tuesday to celebrate the four-story academic building. Three floors host classrooms and laboratories focused on robotics, while the fourth floor dedicates itself to a large robotics research lab specific to Ford researchers and engineers. The partnership between the company and university focuses on building a safer, more equitable society through robotics and other similar technologies. Some research includes prosthetics engineering, while others focus on disaster response robots. An antitrust lawsuit against Google now focuses on privacy changes for Google's Chrome web browser. According to Addie Robertson and Russell Brandom from The Verge, this focuses on Google's plans to remove third-party tracking cookies. The detailed case relating to anti- the antitrust suit now focuses on Chrome's privacy updates, which intend to protect user data while still improving Chrome's marketing abilities. Three antitrust cases are currently ongoing against Google, including one from Colorado, which alleges that Google manipulates search results to harm their competition. The new cookie program to replace third-party tracking is referred to as Google's Privacy Sandbox, and it intends to, quote, wall off the entire portion of the internet that consumers access through Google's Chrome browser, says the complaint. This means that Google would act as a middleman in advertising by forcing advertisers to go through them to get user information. Critics claim that Facebook fails to moderate misinformation on its platform for Spanish-speaking users. According to Shannon Bond at National Public Radio, false information relating to COVID-19, conspiracy theories, elections, and vaccines is spreading at a disproportionate rate for Spanish-speaking users compared to English-speaking users. Jessica Gonzalez from Free Press explained to NPR that, quote, there's a gap, quite an enormous gap, in fact, in English and Spanish language content moderation, end quote. 
While Facebook has increased moderation across its platform, it has failed to implement that for Latino and Hispanic communities on the site, leaving them more vulnerable to false information. Free Press, along with the Center for American Progress and the National Hispanic Media Coalition, formed a campaign called Yabasta Facebook, which translates to Enough Already Facebook in English. The group is focused on improving Spanish language moderation by creating an executive position at Facebook dedicated to it. That's all for Tech News. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Tom Milligan, and I'm the Vice President for External Relations here at CSU. I love listening to KCSU because I love hearing what students are listening to, and often as not, I really like it. I'm involved in the local music scene, and I'm pretty active going out to lots of different concerts, so it's kind of cool to know what's happening and what's the latest. And so KCSU, there's really not a, a lot better place to find that out, so I love listening to KCSU. KCSU is the kind of station that absolutely is focused on the music, and that's really important to the quality of listening. And it's about the music, it's for the music, and it's for the people who like the music. And so as a music fan, I think it's a really good place to keep a finger on what's happening. I'm in the brand business. I'm the marketing guy for the university. So we really try and make sure that when we talk about why people come to CSU, it's grounded in really why they come to CSU and what is authentic about us. And I think KCSU is one of those things that's really authentic. It is an honest-to-goodness, student-run radio station. Rocky Mountain Student Media is an independent organization that is a nonprofit, and that means it relies on community support. And I think that the community should and does support KCSU, and I know I'm one of those people. I think diversity in all its forms is really important, especially in a college town. And I think the reason we like living in college towns is because there's so many different voices that you can hear that you don't in other places. I mean, Loveland is not that much smaller, not that much farther down the line, but it's a very different place than Fort Collins. Not good or bad, just very different. But one of the things that makes Fort Collins so good is that you hear youthful voices on KCSU. You have the local community radio station. You have a pretty good nonprofit radio station as well. This is one of the really important voices in that mix and it also happens to be training young people to do interesting things with their lives. So I think that's very much worth supporting. Consider helping us continue to share excellent content with you by becoming a member of Club 905. Donate only $7.50 a month by calling 970-491-5278 or online at kcsufm.com backslash donate. Hello, this is Justin. And this is Allie. And we're from the band Zebrahead. And you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Yeah. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey. And sometimes things need to get a little bit weird. And so here's a couple of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. Nebraska announced a pro-meat day in protest of Colorado's newly announced meatless day. According to the Associated Press, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts protested Monday against a proclamation by the governor of neighboring Colorado that encourages people to avoid meat for one day a week, calling it a direct attack on our way, uh, on our way of life and signing a pro-meat declaration of his own. 
Ricketts surrounded himself with top officials from Nebraska's meat, agricultural, and restaurant industries as he declared Saturday Meat on the Menu Day in Nebraska. That day was chosen to coincide with Colorado's Meat Out Day, a non-binding proclamation signed by Governor Jared Polis late last month and backed by an animal rights group. Ricketts said that meat is a nutritious, protein-rich food source and noted the beef production is Nebraska's largest, largest industry. Meat Out Day was started in 1985 by the Farm Animal Rights Movement and seeks to encourage non-vegetarians to consider a plant-based diet. The move by Polis, a Democrat who eats meat, has faced criticism from his state's ranching industry as well as some local governments and conservative groups in Colorado. The Farm Animal Rights Movement argues that vegan diets promote health and have been shown to reduce the risk of heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes, and other chronic illnesses. But meat is a big deal in Nebraska, a state that proclaims May as Beef Month each year and sells beef state license plates to motorists. Ricketts says that, quote, If you're to get rid of beef in our country, you would be undermining our food security, an important part of a healthy diet, and also destroying an industry here in our state that's very important. End quote. A Michigan man with a suspended license appeared during a virtual court meeting sitting in the driver's seat of a car. According to WXYZ Chicago, the man was being sentenced after pleading to no insurance, pleading guilty to no insurance and driving, uh, driving with a suspended license on March 8th. Judge Jeffrey Middleson said to the man, quote, I believe you drove wherever you are in the vehicle you're in and you're dumb enough to go on, on video with you sitting in the driver's seat of a vehicle. Makes me think that you haven't gotten the message, end quote. The prosecuting attorney asked the court to impose some sort of jail penalty, said the suspect was driving in a Ford Taurus with four adults and three children, one of the children not in a seatbelt, doing 75 miles per hour on a county road. The man told the judge he was sitting in his boss's vehicle and that he didn't drive there. He said he didn't want to appear in court while at somebody's house. He said that his boss picks him up and takes him to work. He was put on a payment plan to pay his fines and was sentenced to serve a two-day jail sentence on the weekend. The judge also said that he would take it on faith that he was in his boss's vehicle and not his own. Robotic umpires are going through their first test runs in minor league baseball. According to Merritt Kennedy at National Public Radio, Major League Baseball announced Thursday that select games in the low A Southeast will use a robot to help call balls and strikes. The use of the technology, called the automatic ball strike system, will also, quote, Ensure a consistent strike zone is called and determine the optimal strike zone for the system, end quote, according to the MLB. The robot's use is one of a number of experimental rules announced Thursday, which the league said are, quote, designed to increase action on the base paths, create more balls in play, improve the pace and length of games, and reduce player injuries, end quote. MLB has often tried out rules in the minor leagues, that it is considering for the majors. The league has implemented a number of rule changes as its highest level in recent years to try and reduce dead time, shorten games, and make them more exciting for fans. The automatic ball strike system has already been in use in the Independent Atlantic League and Arizona Fall League. As the Associated Press noted, it, quote, got a mixed review from players, with complaints about how the TrackMan system grades breaking pitches down in the zone, end quote. The robot could help rein in different interpretations of the strike zone among empires. It also limits the ability of catchers to frame a pitch, which can help make a ball just barely out of the zone look like a strike. 
I'm Ivy Winfrey, and that's all the weird news I have for today. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. And now, for the weather. The next couple of days are going to be a bit cloudy, but thankfully Fort Collins will be warming up after the blizzard this weekend. Today we saw cloudy skies with a high of 38 and a low of 21, with low wind speeds and about a 20% chance of precipitation tonight. Wednesday will be about the same, although the sun will be peaking out and winds will be speeding up with a high of 42 and a low of 19. Thursday will warm up to a high of 44 with a low of 25, with low wind speeds like today and a 10% chance of precipitation. And for Friday, you'll have to tune into the Rocky Mountain Review this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the next weather report. Information for this report was gathered from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Corrin, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Guzmarati, Maddie Erskine, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.